Good morning, everybody. My name is Alvin. Yeah. Uh, if, if it's your first time here, I serve as lead pastor at Nashville Life. Um, the love, the love birds you saw on the screen are my parents. They're the founding pastors of Nashville Life, and um, they're still in love. But yeah, that that conference, just so you know, it's it's not only you don't have to be married to sign up. Uh, they encourage single people to sign up too. You can, you know, get educated for the future. Uh, get inspired. So, um, yeah, that conference is going to be awesome. My parents are going to Texas, like I said, and they're going to be speaking, and we can tune in from home. Uh, I'm glad everybody's here. Let's see. Um, I think I told you guys last year, my first, but last Sunday marked a year of me being lead pastor of the church. It's been one year. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here, guys. I'm still here. Thank you, God. Okay, thank you, Jesus, right? Um, man, I'm still here. That's, that's my testimony right now. I'm still here. Um, but I started a, a leadership class that I do. I think I wrote y'all's emails, those of you who are getting them. Uh, it's a great leadership course called Apex, and it's about just growing your leadership, getting better. And I've made some great friends there, and one of them came to be with us today. I'm so excited for David Ridings, who is here. Uh, he's one of, from Cornerstone Church, amazing leader, great man of God. Uh, sit next to him sometimes in class, and uh, but he's running for judge in Nashville, and he is an awesome man of God. So if you see David Ridings, if you want to talk to him after, hear more about what he's. What, he's, what, he's, what his vision is and what he's doing. But I'm just honored that you and your wife are here. Thank you so much, um, as well as everybody else who's here visiting us. Um, let's get into the word. We, we have gotten, um, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of momentum the past, I don't know, month and a half, I guess, since we've gotten into the new building, moving to the morning services. Um, our, man, our, our average attendance has gone up like 100 people. Since we moved into the new building, kids' life has doubled since we moved into the new building. Uh, it's just, it's really cool seeing and then the giving. And just thank you all so much. For those of you who don't know, this is still our soft opening stage. Where we are sitting will be our children's space. They're going to have a pretty nice, this is a pretty nice children's space. Uh, and we'll be upstairs. We uh, are still working on the sanctuary, but Lord willing, next month we will be worshiping up there. Um, but Lord willing, we'll see. No guarantees, but but it's looking good. Uh, it's looking really good, actually. So I'm looking forward to that. But and then also I, I introduced this last Sunday. Um, we're taking a trip uh, for anyone who wants to come. We're going to go to um, Africa this year for our first international missions trip. Um, we're going to take part in building a church, and we're going to be able to share the gospel and sing and lead and work with uh, schools and ministries out there for about maybe eight or nine days. Uh, we're still getting the set dates. Our first interest meeting will be, um, I believe, February 19th. Um, so we'll announce it more formally, but I wanted you guys just to know in case that sounds interesting to you, you want to get more details about this trip, um, we'll be meeting, I think that's a Saturday around 10 o'clock here, February 19th. And uh, you can ask questions and figure out how to raise money and be with us in October when we go to Africa. Um, looking forward to that. But let's get into the uh, word of God. Let's say this declaration together. Um, the word of God is the bread of life. 
May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. So the theme for 2022 is withstanding the wind. We are calling the theme for this year withstanding the wind. And that is inspired from a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. It's right before Jesus comes on the scene for his ministry and John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus and he's telling everybody that someone way greater than him is coming up next. He's kind of rolling out the carpet for Jesus and he's describing Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist says about our, our Lord. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And if you don't really understand what he's talking about, I would like to explain it because it really is the, the theme for our year. Uh, the winnowing fan is a tool used when harvesting wheat. Uh, the fan blows wind that separates the wheat, the part that we eat, from the chaff, the part that we don't eat. Only the wheat is gathered for future use and the chaff is blown away and ultimately burned. Uh, this metaphor lets us know that Jesus is allowing, he's allowing winds to blow in our lives, but they have a purpose. And those winds are to separate the wheat, what belongs to him, from the chaff that doesn't. Uh, the wind serves as the ultimate test for who we really are. Um, so if you're experiencing a wind, don't be frightened. Just know that it's a test. And, and the beautiful thing about this metaphor is when the wind is blowing, the grain still feels the wind. It's not like grain is exempt from the wind. It's one thing to not be exempt from the wind. It's one thing to be blown away by it. So even though the grain is not exempt from the wind, it's not blown away because there is a weight in the grain that the chaff doesn't have. Chaff is light. It's loose. It's not really rooted. So, so the slightest winds can call it to fall away. But there's a grain, there's a weight, I should say, that grain has that's able to withstand the winds that are blowing. So if you're feeling the wind, that's okay. It means you're human. However, if you are of the Lord, if you belong to Jesus, it will not blow you away. You will remain in the harvest. And I just want you guys to be encouraged knowing that. We're talking about different winds throughout the whole year. I think it's important that we are um, aware of the winds that are happening so that we are prepared. I think uh, most of the failures that go in our spiritual life is just due to lack of preparation. The Bible talks about being prepared, being suited up, being armored, being, being prepared having that stance ready for, for when the winds come or when the enemy comes. So I want us to be aware of those things. And the winds that we're talking about in January is, I'm calling it the winds of abandonment. I believe there is a trend in humanity. It's in the air. You can sense it where there's these whispering voices motivating and, and letting people feel the need to abandon their commitments People are walking out on vows that they've made. People are literally abandoning their families. They're abandoning their purpose, their calling, um, certain, certain plans that they've set for their lives. They're giving up due to discouragement. 
um, due to distractions. I mean, it's happening in every area, and, and ultimately, which is the saddest, people are actually abandoning their own lives. Um, I just heard about another suicide. A guy, 26 years old, took his life a few days ago, and it's just, it's in the air. And it's these, it's these reasonings that's, that's going in people's minds that's making them think that the next best thing to do is to walk out and to, to abandon. And we want to make sure that we are able to withstand those winds. Um, the Bible says that a stranger, uh, stranger's voice my sheep will not follow. And I think it's important to know that it doesn't say a stranger's voice my sheep do not hear. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I want you to understand that it's one thing to hear a voice. It's a different thing to follow that voice. So just because we're sheep, similar to the wind analogy, doesn't mean that we don't hear the voice of the enemy. It just means that if we're sheep of Jesus, we don't follow the voice of the enemy. So I want to make sure, you know, just because you're hearing it, it doesn't mean that you have to follow it. It just means that it's those lying voices and those accusations and those reasonings that come from demons that make us really step outside of the will of God. Um, but when we are able to withstand the wind, we're able to endure it and keep on track, right? Um, the, the first signs, I believe, in Scripture of this abandonment that I'm talking about goes back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created by God. They were given a purpose. They were given an assignment. They were given uh, responsibilities. And due to the voice of the enemy, the serpent, uh, they were convinced that it was reasonable and rational to abandon these responsibilities, to abandon this, this, this relationship they had with their creator, and they went another way. So much to point in proof of their abandonment or the fact that they abandoned God was that God came after and said, where are you? Notice the story. A lot of times the enemy wants us to think that the story goes, Adam and Eve said, God, where are you? And we kind of buy into this narrative that we've been left and that we've been forsaken but it's really the opposite. It's really the opposite. It was Adam and Eve that abandoned God. It was Adam, it was me that left God. God never left me. It was me that said, I'm out. Um, so sometimes the enemy, again, wants us to buy into this narrative that we're forsaken when really God is the one who's been forsaken by us. So to, to, to repent of this, we must turn away from our abandonment and return to God, which is what this whole message is about. Um, Adam and Eve... Um, one of the things I said they were called to do, one of the responsibilities was to be stewards over all that God had created. And he told them to subdue the whole world. It was a very, very big job. The highest responsibility besides him um, was given to mankind. And when we abandoned this, this role, this responsibility, um, we, we lost our, we, we gave up our role as stewards. And we end up kind of taking on this false ownership of the things that we had, including our own lives. Ever since then, mankind has been really uh, forsaking the role of steward and manager, and we've kind of taken on this role of being an owner, uh, which is basically the same thing. You had the same things God gave you. You just kind of blotted him out of it. Um, that's the difference between ownership and stewardship under God. You have the same stuff, but when you're owner, God is a non-factor. When you are a steward, God is everything. Because you're only managing his stuff. Um, when you own, it's your stuff. And if you know, if you decide to give a little bit to God, then he should be grateful. You know. But if it's his stuff, you really it changes the whole game. You no longer feel uh, entitled 
to what you have because it's not yours. Um, it's a really life-changing uh, perspective shift going from owner of your life and owner of your time and of your talent and of your treasure than being a steward. And we talked last week about time, two weeks ago about time, how time is not ours. That's been entrusted to us. We've been given an unlimited amount of time, and we are called to steward that time according to what the word of God says, which is doing the work of God as long as we can while we still can. Jesus said, let's work while it's still day, because when the sun goes down, no one can do God's work anymore. So during our time that we have, it's important that we steward it according to the way the owner wants us to steward it. Uh, and then talent, we talked about talent last week, about how we're supposed to multiply that talent. And, and the best way to multiply your talent is to let it serve other people so that they can see it and they can be inspired by it and then want to follow suit in the way that you're serving. And, and the, you'll see your talent and your gifts actually multiply in other people. And it's a beautiful sight to see. It's a beautiful, very rewarding experience. And it's also God's will. We're going to talk about treasure today. Um, before I get into the weeds of it, I do want to lay down some foundational scriptures that I think we should walk into this message knowing. Um, 1 Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So that means everything, not just the heavenly stuff, not just your spiritual stuff, even things on earth from dirt to grass to gold to silver to you name it, ocean, water, rivers, all of it was created by God, visible and invisible. So everything that we can't see, he created. Everything that we do see, he created. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, doesn't matter. All things were created through him. And then the next part says, and for him. So not only did he make everything, but he made everything for himself. Second thing I want you guys to understand is Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this. I kind of forgot this was in here when I was studying. I'm like, oh, this is, this is it. Deuteronomy verse 8, 17 through 18. Everyone say, beware. beware. The Lord is telling us to beware. Beware lest you say in your heart. So you might not say it verbally, but it might be in your heart. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. It says, be careful that you don't slip into that in your heart, that thinking that what you have is a product of your hand and your power. You shall remember. Everyone say, remember. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your father's as it is this day. And that's referring to the covenant he made with Abraham. God made a covenant to Abraham, the father of our faith, according to Hebrews, that, that he would bless his people. He would allow us to be blessed so that we can be a source of blessings for the rest of the world. So when we find ourselves able to bring in income for our lives, the word says to be careful that we don't say in our heart that this is a product of my abilities and my power and my work, which is very difficult. It's very easy to see that way because the way payment works is you are putting in work and you are giving your talent. So it's a very uh, easy mindset to slip into, which is why he says beware, because if you're not careful to not give into this thought, it'll happen. 
because it's your sweat that's pouring from your, your uh, forehead. It's your hands that are, that are being worked to the bone. It's your body that's feeling the ache of that 10-hour that shift. So it's very easy to believe that this is a product of my hand and my power. But God goes, no, you must remember it's the Lord that even gave you that ability to produce that income. Right? Malachi chapter 3. We refer to this a good bit, but um, I want to kind of give more context to it. Um, verse 7. It says, for the days of your fathers have been, sorry, for, from the days, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Turn aside means you turned away from it. It's that, it's that abandonment. Basically, the Lord is saying, from the days of your fathers, you all have been abandoning God. You've been, a, you've been turning away from him. You've been neglecting his statutes, his commandments, and you have not been keeping his commandments. And then he says, return to me. I think it's really important to know the character of God. He's not like human beings, thank God, because the way that we usually work is if you reject me, then forget you then. I don't like you anyway. You're not even all that. I'm good, and we, and we, and th that we go there. When we start feeling we're rejected, we start immediately discrediting and devaluing that person to make us feel better about it, and, and we, 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 we walk away. And I think it's so important to know that God is not like that. Even if we abandon him, even if we reject him, even if we disregard him, he goes, come back. His heart is for us to return to him. He says, and if you return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So how do we return back to God? Well, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, the next verse says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Scripture says, in your tithes and contributions. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Um, yeah, let's do the all of you. Yeah, there we go. Whole nation of you. So I'm going to give a little context, and then we'll, I think we'll have an understanding before we're done. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, tithe is 10% uh, of your, your earnings, of what you earn, what you produce, that income that God gave us the power to produce. So, so whether it's uh, grain and crops in those days or cattle, whatever the currency is of, of our time, tithe is, you know, for us, it's money. You know, that's how we do it in this country. It's, it's money, and that's how we get income for our work. So the tithe is 10% of that, and then the contributions is any offerings in addition to that initial 10%. So that's why it says, it doesn't just say tithes. Remember, it says tithes and contributions. Tithes is exclusively that 10%, and then contributions is whatever you give in addition to that. And apparently, these people were robbing God in both areas. Um, and then when it says, oh, yeah, tithing goes to the, to the house of God. So the house of God is the assembly where the worship happens, where the priestly works are being done. Um, in those days, it was the temple. I believe today it's the church. It's where we gather. It's where the work of the priest is where the work of worship is being done. Um, and this people that God was talking to in Malachi weren't doing this. They weren't tithing and they weren't contributing. And, and God is addressing them about it. And I think it's really interesting that when they're asking, you know, how do we return to you, 
he starts going into the area of their of their tithe and of their giving. And uh, though none of them would argue, I believe, that it was good to give, I think, you know, if they're anything like us, I believe they probably agreed that it was good to give to the temple and good to give to the house of God. But if they were anything like us, I believe they were uh, a little bit shocked at the term robbery. <laughs> um, robbery sounds like such a deliberate and intentional and even forceful act. Um, I think it's a lot easier to sleep at night thinking of yourself as not giving than it is to think of yourself as robbing. Um, not giving is a bit safer. It's a bit more passive. It's a little bit easier to, to live with um, because, you know, you're not doing anything bad. You might not be doing what's good, but, you're, you know, not giving, again, is just easier to swallow than robbery. Let me talk to you a little bit about robbery. Robbery is when someone feels entitled to what does not belong to him to them and then acts on it. At the root, that's what robbery is. Robbery is when you feel entitled to what does not belong to you, and then you act on that entitlement. If you talk to most thieves, I'm not sure who has a background in theft. I won't ask for you to reveal yourself. But if you, if you talk to most thieves um, and ask them what causes them to feel entitled to or even justified in their acts, because for them to do it, they must feel like it's, it should be done. And I was thinking about it, there's three big reasons why people steal. One is need. I need this. I've got to pay my bills. I've got kids to feed. I've got a family to support. Um, I need, I need this money. I need whatever this is. I need this. Two, um, judgment towards the owner. And that means, it quotes like, they don't need it as much as I do. Um, they've got so much they won't even miss what I'm taking. They have insurance. It'll take care of it. They're doing crooked things with their money, and it will be better stewarded in my hands. They don't deserve what they have, and I do. These are the reasonings that go through thieves' minds that allow them to feel justified and entitled to what they do. They've made, they've, they have to make some judgment about the person they're stealing from. Either they don't deserve it or they already have enough or they won't even miss it. They won't even notice. These are the thoughts that go through thieves' minds. And number three is company. The reason why gangs are able to do as awful the things they do is because they're around other people who are doing it too. And it's just human nature that if enough people are doing it, it's hard to see it as severe and, and bad, I mean, it's just, it's just all of us. Like, we learned this when we were kids, two wrongs don't make a right, and it's amazing how people still don't understand that in their adulthood because it's company has a way of making you feel different about what you're doing than if it was just you. It's a lot easier to do wrong if you're in the company of everyone else who's doing it, which is why, again, uh, gangs, the reason why they're so successful at terrorizing societies is because they're able to do it in company. I guarantee you, most gang members would not do what they were doing if they were doing it by themselves. But when you're in company of others, it, it, it has a way of smoothing it out for you, making it seem not as intense. Especially if it's people that you like that are doing it. I want to bring that into 
people that you like are doing the wrong thing, it, it's also easier to, to diminish the severity of what's being done. All of these patterns that I brought up that, that convince thieves to, to, to rob, I believe, are the thought patterns that get us to rob from God. Number one, need. I've got to feed my kids. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to pay off these loans. I've got to get my education. I have needs. Number two, judgment towards the owner. Surely God doesn't care about my $16.19. He has so much. He doesn't need what I have. He doesn't care. I mean, it's God. Who, who, we make these assumptions, these judgments about God. He has enough. He doesn't need what I have. I need what I have more than God needs what I have. We make these judgments. And then three, company. So-and-so doesn't tithe, and they're awesome. I like Johnny. He doesn't tithe, and he's great. He's a strong Christian. When we're in, we're in, we're in, if we're in company of people who don't do this, it makes us, well, then, then I'm good. It's a lot easier to not give if you believe that you're in the company of others who don't do it. God said in this Mal in Malachi, the whole nation was not given. So he wasn't talking to the two people. He said the whole nation, which means they were in good company or bad company. <laughs> Everybody was not giving in their tithes and their offerings. He said the whole nation. It was, this was a word to all of Israel during this time. They had all been slacking in this area, and God was calling them all out. He goes, I know you think that just because all of you guys are doing it, it's right, but God, does, God doesn't grade on a curve, <laughs> just so you know. He's not going to go, well, since everybody, he's not like us, guys. He goes, well, then all of y'all are in trouble. <laughs> He doesn't go, well, since it was everybody, maybe I didn't communicate it well enough. Maybe that's on me. God's not like us. If all of us are wrong, all of us are wrong. Paul said, let every man be a liar before God is wrong. So we, we can't live our lives based on a curve. We can't live our life based off of the majority, especially when the Bible is so clear that the majority is headed towards the destruction. He goes, only a few find my way. So we really need to re retire from the mindset of since everybody is living this way, surely it's not that bad. Because in Malachi, the whole nation was doing something that was bad. But even with that, God is saying, return to me. Come on, guys. I mean, I mean imagine asking someone who just robbed you to return to me. Let's be friends. Let's be close. That's who God is. Now, he's going to call you out, but he's still going to say, I want to be close. But as long as you're stealing from me, it's going to be difficult for us to have a healthy relationship. You know, listen, just think about us. Like, imagine having an intimate relationship with someone who actively robs you every night. Like, I like you. I want to be in a relationship, but you got to stop stealing my stuff. <laughs> right? That's the tone of the God, right? It's like, I love you, I want you, but there's this one little area that's kind of getting in between us growing as, as friends. 
So, right, isn't that grace? Praise God. So Malachi 3 is God's plea for people to come back to him. And they ask him, how do we do it? He goes, in this area. Number Verse 10, Malachi 3, 10 through 12. Bring the full, everyone say full, full tithe into the storehouse. And the reason why I think it was full, because my guess is they were giving, but they were just giving maybe here and there, like partially. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't the full amount of what he's asking for. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down. Again, let me keep on going. I'm going to stop. I'm going to keep going, but let me stop for a second. Character of God. Um, if someone was robbing you and you said, uh, stop, <laughs> and they said, why, you'd be like, because it's mine. You would say, because it's wrong. You would say, what else would you do? We have a God that when he tells us why, instead of just saying, because I told, told you so, or because this is the right thing to do, he goes, there are actually rewards for you if you stop stealing from me. Like, he actually starts listing off benefits for us, not benefits for him. You would think that he'd be the beneficiary of, of not being robbed anymore. Like, that would be the testimony. I'm not being robbed anymore. But he goes, no, the robbers can actually start being blessed if they stop robbing, robbing me. I think that's so interesting that God is so benevolent even towards those who are uh, uh, committing crimes against him. <laughs> um, Therefore, he's put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear fruits, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. As stewards of the treasure that God owns, we are to manage it the way that he wants us to manage it. When God starts going into the benefits, it's, it's, it's necessary for people. This thing, God made us. And a lot of us are really afraid of this, and we kind of try to suppress it, but just stop. Like, we're benefit-driven. Human beings do things for the benefits that it produces. You go to a restaurant not because you want to hate the experience. You're going because you want it to enjoy yourself. You, you pick your friends and your, your spouse based off who, who makes you happy, who brings benefits to your life. Everything that we do is benefit-driven, and I think it's important for us to realize that God is not nervous about that. God is not squeamish about that. And, and the thing is, if, if he didn't want us to do things with benefits in mind, he would not have gone through the trouble to tell us the benefits of what will happen if we do what he wants us to do. He says, follow me, and I will come to me, and I will give you rest. If he didn't want rest to be one of the motivations to why we come to him, he wouldn't have said, come to me, and I'll do this for you. Sometimes we just get a little too like, I should just come to God because I just, I just want him, and that's it. That's cool, but you are, you are signing yourself up for more than what God is even telling you. He said, if you want rest for your soul, 
come to me. It's okay to say I'm going to God because I want rest for my soul. I'm miserable. I'm anxious. And God says that he can relieve me of that. I'm going to go to this God. I'm going to go to Jesus. You, sh- you, shouldn't, you shouldn't want anything coming to Jesus. Well, I think we are more offended by that than Jesus. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone as far to say these are the things that you'll get. Peace, salvation, mercy, hope, eternal life. Life in heaven instead of hell. I mean, these are benefits that the Lord makes it clear that we have. And, and God is saying, if you stop robbing me, there will be great benefits for your life. He said, I will make every nation look at you and go, we want to be like them. Simply by stop robbing, like not even necessarily jumping through extra hoops, stop stealing. If you, he tells Israel, if you stop stealing, I will throw over, open the windows of heaven. I want to appeal to our, our minds because we have human minds, and the Bible says that we, God gives us his mind. The reason why I think God makes it so clear to have, he knows that it's necessary to tell us the benefits because human beings, we, uh, we get nervous when it comes to our money. We get nervous when it comes to our treasure, when it comes to giving. So he makes it clear. That, that's why I think God makes it so clear. Every scripture you see about giving, there's, there's uh, talks of benefits, and he has to let us know that this is a good thing. He knows every time he brings up giving to us, he has to remind us that it's a good thing because we naturally tense up. Some of us are tense right now. Um, Giving according to human logic equals loss, which is why we get nervous. Nobody wants to lose what they have, and rightfully so. That's normal, by the way. Giving to human logic equals loss. Giving according to God's logic equals sowing. Giving according to God's logic equals sowing. Imagine if you had a bag of seeds, and that's all you had in the world. And no one told you what those seeds were. They just told you that it was food. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And someone said, hey, take some of those seeds and put it in the ground and cover it in dirt and leave it. We would go, no, 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 no. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. These are all the seeds I've got. No, I've got got to live. I only have a bag of seeds to last me my entire life. This is all I've got. Human logic, we would see it as loss. I'm losing seeds. I'm losing But God has to let us know, no, when you put it in the dirt, you're actually sowing it. And guess what's going to happen? More seeds will come from that initial bag of seeds that you have. Some of us are missing and we're living off of this one initial bag of seeds. And we don't even realize that that we'll have so many more seeds if we simply plant it. And again, giving, according to human logic, it's loss. And I don't care how long you've been tithing, you still have to fight those thoughts sometimes. Because human associ- we associate giving with, I'm losing it. Bye. Bye, seeds. Uh, that w- it was nice knowing you. It was nice knowing you. T- ten, ten bucks. It was nice knowing you. I guess I'll see you in heaven one day. And we, we treat our giving like it's gone. But God goes, no, you're sowing it, 
And when it does its job, it's going to actually produce more. And the Bible says, too, just so you know, the more is not even for you necessarily just to build up this crazy life. It's, he said, he sows seed to the sower so that it can produce more for them to sow more. So the, that's why this thing is infinite. Because the more seeds you produce, the more seeds you can sow, which will produce more from that seed, which means you can sow more. And next thing you know, you've got an entire forest full of trees and, and, and plants, and you've got this harvest field from that initial bag of seeds. Meanwhile, the person who still thinks human logic is carrying that same 10 ba bag of 100 seeds or whatever seeds. Here, you, here you've got an entire forest, and they still have this because it's like, this is all I have to live with. Again, need, judgment of the owner. He doesn't need it as much as I do. And then company. And don't be in a bunch of friends that have seeds too because it's like we're, we're all doing the same. This is the right thing. We are holding on to our seeds. Surround yourself with people who plant. I'm telling you, change your company. Change your company. Be around people who know the principle of sowing. It will bless your life. Lastly, I want to point out to you that Malachi 3 as much as we talked about money, it's not even about, it's about, it started off with him saying, y'all have been abandoning me, and I want you guys to come back to me. God wants to come, God wants us to come back to us. And you think, okay, what does, why didn't he just say come back to me? Like, why didn't he just say, like, you know, sing to me, or, you know, like, when they say, how do we come back to you? Like, why don't you say, like, you know, worship or fast or, or do these things, which are good stuff. He went, he went to money. He went to their treasure. He went to their treasure. And I was like, why, you know, why, why did he go there first? Like, you would have thought that would be, like, number eight on the list if you're trying to reconcile a relationship. You would think that would not be, you know, like, imagine if you were reconciling with a friend and, like, let's be friends again. It's like, okay, cool, like, give me, you know, give me your money. You'd be like, wait, what? Don't you just want to like eat with me? Don't you just want to catch up and talk about life? Don't you want to just, you know, you know we, we, we look at connection in a different way as human beings. But God knows something about our treasure that we often don't know. And Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason why God goes for the money, the treasure in our lives, because he knows human beings. And human beings, there's a direct correlation between your heart and your treasure. There's a direct If you want to know the priorities of your life, look at your bank statement. Your heart is a direct correlation with your finances. And God knows that. So he knows if I can challenge them in the area of their treasure, I'm challenging their heart. I'm bringing back their heart. That's why that Deuteronomy said, be careful lest you say in your heart, I have what I have because of me. The only reason why you can use the word robbery is if it's something that doesn't belong to you. And I think so often we just don't, we're still learning. That's why we're doing this whole series. We still are wrestling with this ownership. I think there's a lot of Christians, including in this church, that, that still wrestle with feeling like they own their lives. 
So if you're owning your life, I'm not robbing you. Like, this is mine. That's why sometimes robbery seems like such a disconnect to us. Like, even now when we hear it robbing God, it's like, come on, God. I mean, it's my stuff. Like, and it is totally different. Like, when it's his, it's robbery. But when it's ours, not only is it not robbery, but we're actually doing a good thing by giving him the few quarters that we gave him. Because if it's yours, even or, or millions, whatever, if it's yours, then you're like, God, you should be happy. If, if it's ours, no matter what we give, God should be grateful because this is ours and I'm giving you some of my stuff. It's almost like if your dad lets you borrow the car and you brought it back to him and you thought you deserved a thank you. <laughs> like, it's his car. He's like, geez, dad, I gave you back my, I gave you your car. Like, say thank you. Like, your dad would be like, what? <laughs> This is my car. That's how we treat God. We give him what already is his, and we expect for him to say thank you. We want credit for giving God his stuff. And God's like, this isn't even what I asked for. This is, I asked for more. Well, but if it's yours, he has no right to judge what you've given because he should be grateful with anything that he's been given. But if you flip the script and realize that it's his, everything that you mismanage, he says, it's robbery. You are, walk you are walking away with my stuff. You are walking away with the income that I provided for you. And, the, and God is so reasonable. He's not even, I mean, he would have the right to say, give me all of it. God would actually have the right to say, give me 100%. And God is so cool. He's not even asking for 100%. He's like, test me even with 10. That shows how the human heart actually is. Like, even 10% makes us cringe. Like, we can't even swallow 10. And I say, I say we as a global church. Our Nashville Life is doing amazing, right? But Nashville Life, we are a generous church. There's not a lot of thieves in this church. But I'm saying, but, but I'm, 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 I'm addressing a mindset. God doesn't care about the money in itself. He cares about it because he knows that's where our heart is. And he's after that. And the way he tests if our heart is his is in the area of our giving. We can say we love him all day. We can sing until our voice runs out. We can fast for 21 days, no food, only water. But our, our hearts are tested when it comes to that income, when it comes to that treasure, because I work for this, because it's mine. My name was on that check. My sweat came off of my head. My, my hands are the ones that are hurting. My back is the one that's hurting. And we start forming these judgments. God, I'm, let's be careful. 
Deuteronomy said, beware, because this stuff can get in your heart if you're not careful. And, it, and if it is there, then it's okay. God is still saying, return to me. This is how you get it right. If you've taken a false sense of ownership for, for the treasure that God has provided for you, this is when you can make it right. Malachi, the nation had a chance to make it right. In the book of Malachi, he goes, all y'all are doing this. And if you want to make things right, let's address your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to make it right, I believe it's the same thing for us. At least first step. Like, there's multiple steps of making things right with God. But I think a good way to just jump start it is, so start tithing. 10% of everything you earn to the house of God. If you, if, and, and by the house of God, I mean tithing, I believe, is, is exclusively for your home church. So if you don't, if, if your home church is somewhere else, don't tithe here. You can give here, but don't tithe here. I've actually stopped people. Some are like, I belong to this church, but I tithe. I'm like, no, 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 don't get, no. We, you can give to us as an offering. You can contribute your money wherever you want. But tithing is your, your home church. I give to several other churches, but I tithe at Nashville Life. Because it's my home church. This is where I eat. This is where I draw from the community. This is where I supplement my life through what's happening in the saints, the friendships here, the relationships here, the wisdom here, the encouragement here, the praise here, the community. This is where I receive. This is my church. So I give 10% of everything that I earn to this house, the house of God. Offerings is whatever you give on top of that tithe. So... After that 10%, everything you give, those are contributions. So I give contributions to this church too, but then I also give contributions to other organizations and other things. I just don't count that as our tithe. Some people count that as their tithe. No, no. The house of God is exclusively where the tithe belongs. Aside from that, contributions, go for it. That's where, that's where the scriptures come in to where he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Like when Paul was asking for people, those scriptures in Corinthians, they had their church, but he was asking them to give to another church. So those are contributions. Those are not your tithe. That's, and, and the cool thing, there's no cap on that. You can sow. And he says the more sparingly, the more uh, abundantly you uh, sow, the more abundantly you'll reap. There's no cap on this. And then the house of God is, like I said, your local church. Those are three steps I think can really kickstart your heart for 2022. If you want to, if you want that, you know those uh, clear, the hospital things where they put it on your chest. If you want that on your heart, start giving. You will notice a change in your heart. The Bible doesn't lie. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. If you let your treasure be in the works of God, you will find yourself having a heart for the works of God that you did not have before. It's amazing. It's not emotional, as some of us like to associate God with. We kind of only deem God for, like, emotional stuff. This is not that. But it's, it's, it's an actual, it works. You might not cry. You might not feel goosebumps. But you will see a change in your heart. And God will see you as someone who has his heart. And you will no longer be considered a robber. If anything, like, I just want to get out of that category. I don't want to be on the list of thieves. Um, praise God. It's not an easy 
sharing about money, but I I want I don't want this to be taboo. If you look at the Bible, the Bible's not sheepish about talking about money. It's 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 a reality and it involves our heart. Something we need to be cool about. You might not grown up in a place or church or even family where I mean depending on the culture you're from, I don't know, it could be different, but let's just we're trying to build a kingdom culture here. Not necessarily the culture of how I was raised in my town or where I come from or my mom and dad did this. Praise God for your mom and dad, but your mom and dad is not the kingdom necessarily. We have to build our lives off of a kingdom culture, which means all of us have to change. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for inviting us to return back to you. Lord, in Malachi, you start off saying that these people who you love have turned away and you want them back, Lord. And I just, I just feel so strongly that I need to be grateful that, that you, you're still calling us. You're still, you want us to return to you. You want us to be close to you. I believe it's always been your desire for you to have your very own people and for your people to have their God. And, and I know that that's what you're wanting to happen today with this group of people. You want, you want us to belong to you. And, Lord, uh, though we might say it with our words, Lord, you want us to say it in this particular area of, of our tithes and of our contributions. Lord, and, and I just pray that um, those who have ears to hear would, would hear, Lord, and, and, and take action, not just to hear it, but, but to do it. And I just thank you in advance, Lord, um, for, for the, the heart changes that are going to happen in this room and in this church, simply by, by being obedient in this one area, Lord, I believe that, that we will see a change of heart. We will sense a unity and all the benefits that you listed um, are going to belong to the people in this room, to the families in this room. Lord, you are so kind. You're so generous. You're so patient. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your infinite grace and, and mercy, God. And I just pray that... Uh, that you would, uh, uh, yeah, that you would, that you would unite our hearts with you, because um, that's where our hearts belong. They belong with you. Um, so in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Um, I I want to give everybody a chance to reconcile with Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes all of this make sense. Bible says without Jesus we're all dead. So we we don't have a connection to to this world that, that God is making available to us. Jesus is the door that makes all of these promises uh, manifest in your life. The promises of provision, the promise of mercy, the promise of abundant life, the promise of of healing, the promise of of generation after generation. Uh, being blessed, your children and your children's children, those sort of promises, these epic promises that we find in the Word of God are found through Jesus. And if you give your life to Him, He's the one that gives you the revelation that your life is not your own. He's the one that gives you the revelation that that my life was bought with a price, and a very, a very expensive price. Jesus hung on the cross. He shed His blood. He died a terrible, painful death 
for our sins. And then he rose from the grave so that we could live with the Father. And when we understand our lives were bought as a price, we see our lives as something that belongs to God. And that includes not just your treasure, which we've talked about today, but your time, your talent, your family, your mind, your body. You start to see all of this belongs to God. And Jesus is the person that opens your eyes to that. He's the one that brings that, that reality into your, your consciousness, that, that you belong to God and that your life belongs to him. And, and, and when you see that everything you have belongs to God, you're able to freely give. You're able to freely worship. You're able to freely obey because you see that, that it's God is the one that owns it all. So if you want to see your life that way, if you want to receive that revelation, it starts with acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God. Simple, simple but very profound decision. So if you want to make that decision, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask us all to stand. Because we are about to head out, but there's someone here that needs to make things right with God by, by accepting Jesus. So let's repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate God's mercy. Let's just lift him up. Let's keep praising him for a couple minutes. God, we thank you. We don't take your mercy for granted. We don't take your provision for granted. We love you. We honor you for, for welcoming us back, for calling us back home. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time and you want to let us know, we'll have a prayer team that's going to be right here. You can come down and pray with them. They'll pray a brief prayer with you, congratulate you. Uh, we want to know that you made this choice. You can also let us know by texting us. Yes to, oh, sorry, belong. You text belong to 77411. Text belong, which means you belong to the family of God. You are a part of this. You are no longer on the outskirts, but you're right at the table, right with all of us. So belong to 77411. If you would like prayer, again, we've got our team, Dia and Rob. You can also let us know online. You can submit your prayer request via the website. Our team prays for all the requests that come in. We would love to hear from you. And uh, that's about it. I'm going to dismiss us. Thanks again for coming. If you would like to give, uh, thank you in advance. You can give online by texting Nashville Life to 77411, or you can give to the finance team on the way out. They'll be happy to serve you. Thank you in advance, and congratulations for sowing seed into the kingdom, right? Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray a blessing over all of these people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us back to you, Lord. Thank you for bringing our hearts 
back to you, God. I pray that you continue to minister to every person. Protect them as they leave here. Bring us back, Lord, hopefully Wednesday for prayer at 630, if not Sunday morning again. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.